On this episode of AV Week, we take a look at Microsoft Teams capturing 60% of the VC market, what that means for the industry. Also, what is the future of control, both hardware and software, and taking a look at safeguarding AV installations. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 572, recorded Friday, August 5th, 2022. No brainer. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by. Sure. Because every voice matters. And by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, you know her, you love her as AV Dawn, Dawn Mead. Welcome, ma'am. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me, as usual. Absolutely. Uh, we'll stay on the East Coast for a second. Frank Patakala. Uh, from Audinate. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, way out west, Mr. Mark Coxon from AVISPL Experience Design Group. Technology. Experience Technology Group, XTG. Pull, pull an anchor. XTG. I'm pulling anchor out here in the West Coast again. I get to run the last 100. You do. You do. <laughs> uh, and really quickly, uh, just because, you know, Frank is actually. Frank was in St. Louis for the 30 seconds I was in town, and then I left to go out west uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it's intentional. I'm just throwing it out there. We're going to blame Joe Way, Joe Way on that one. Um, I'm, I'm, but I also heard a rumor that you were working on a new IT factor. Yes, I was. It's I done, was, and it like, came like, out today. Nah, I just decided not to. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was about managed services. So... Uh, very significant conversation. I mean, I've been saying it for a while. I'm glad people are finally thinking about it now. Uh, there's no way going away from managed services and cloud platforms. It's part of where we're going. Mark's nodding. No, yeah. I mean, everything's going to subscription. I was I was reading something on Twitter this morning that said now if you own a BMW, your heated seats are actually on a subscription model for 180 bucks. Yes, I saw that too. That's amazing. <laughs> So, you can keep your. I can spend sixty thousand dollars on yep. a car, but I'll need to pay twenty dollars a month if, if you want your butt to stay warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Wow. There, there, it's there's, true. there's all kinds of stuff that I'm just not going to touch there. All right, first, uh, first story of the week comes to us from our friends at AV Network. What is the future of control? Cindy Davis uh, writes about different variations on where control is headed. She mentions Hive. From Hull Technologies, VC4, which is Crestron's virtual control at Lona's Velocity, uh, Atlas's IED Atmosphere, VCA100 from Extron, which is their version of control. One of the things that she did not have in there is Utelogy, which from, from my estimation is kind of the granddaddy of, of virtual uh, control, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Don, I am going to start with you because you were with Utelogy before Utelogy was cool. Uh, <laughs> you're the one who introduced me to it. So take a look at the landscape. Take a look at, at what folks are talking about. Um, and one of the reasons, not to beat a dead horse on this, but one of the reasons that this article is so important is because of the lack of hardware with some manufacturers when it comes to control. So what is the kind of the future of control in, in today's environment? 
Well, I, I mean, I think you and the article said it clearly, you know, it's it's going virtual. Um, I've been saying just about as long as there's been an AV Nation that I've been a part of, uh, nobody cares about your gray boxes, folks. Nobody cares. And if anything, the past three years and the supply chain disruption have showed us we really don't care about your gray boxes. Your gray boxes are killing us waiting for them. So if you have a solution for control that is simpler to set up, configuration versus programming, that sort of thing, and it doesn't have a gray box that we have to wait on and hope there's a chip for and hope there's a plug for and hope there's a this for and that for, and it's IT friendly or at least IT can understand it a little better because it's software and it's just network. I mean, it's a no-brainer. That's what people want to have for their corporations. The IT folks get it, especially if the company you're choosing for your virtual control can talk IT and talk cybersecurity, which is a big thing in my vertical. You know, they can answer those questions. The IT people are like, cool, I get it, I understand. Your end users love it. And your um, end user internal consultant AV types really love it as well. So honestly, I think that's where we're going. And uh, you know, it's a shame that it took a global pandemic and a global supply chain collapse for us to get there. But, you know, same thing with virtual meetings. It, it Sometimes it takes that kick in the pants globally before we take that leap forward. All right, Mark, same kind of question is given all of these issues, given, you know, supply chain chips and all that jazz, where are we headed when it comes to control? Well, I, I agree with Don that it's what the end users want. Um, and I agree with Don that virtual control solves a lot of problems in our supply chain. And I, I wrote something about this before, like if everything has an appliance and everything's you know, requires chips, that just makes our chip shortage extend longer, right? The more, the more services we can run on one box. I mean, think of, um, think of a, a corporation that has, let's say a Crestron control box in every single conference room running those conference rooms. That, that processor does work for 15 seconds when you turn on the meeting and then it doesn't do any other work until the next meeting. So why shouldn't you have a box that actually has virtual rooms installed on it where you can use that processing power across multiple, multiple rooms, which you're seeing with Extron and you're seeing with Crestron now with these virtual control platforms. Utelogy has been doing that. Barco tried to do it with Overture and couldn't get it off the ground. My, my biggest takeaway is the elephant in the room here which integrators are actually changing their business model to do something besides Crestron? How many people do we know are waiting 52 weeks on products, even though there are other products that do similar things because their business is built on that? And there's a whole other ecosystem in the background of like, how many programmers do you have trained in this very specific language that only works with one manufacturer? And you, are you going to reskill, upskill those programmers to work in something else? Now, if you were building a business from scratch, I would 100% do that. I would say, why would we be holding? Why would we be beholden to something that we're at the whim of a manufacturer's ability to deliver? Let's train our people on a language that seven, eight different platforms use. And when those platforms aren't available, we can switch back and forth. We can be um, agnostic to manufacturers' products and use a standard for programming. But we know in AV, that's not the way it works. Manufacturer wags the dog in this industry. There are too many people that are caught up in those proprietary ecosystems to make a clean switch. So, I mean, I, I agree with this article 100%. I think everybody should be thinking this way, but just knowing what happens out in the space, like 
it's it's almost it's it's this weird paradox of the customers want it and until we actually make them drag them to it i mean think of think of the hd based t2 video over ip switch customers wanted to be able to manage the stuff on their network we didn't want to do it eventually they dragged us to it and now we're all there in that ecosystem i think control is going to be the same way the customers are going to drag us into it and um, you know, at least one of at least some of the manufacturers we're familiar with are starting to offer it. Like I think Extron and Crestron probably have the best basis to do that because they can convert existing customers to their own platform. But. I I would I would agree with you, and and I would I would I would hazard a guess to say that we are closer than than what maybe maybe we think um, because you're right. Customers are going to drag um, the dealers because they're going to say. Yeah, we've been an XYZ house for however many years. I just need my room to work now, right? It's been two years. I need my stuff to work. So I, I don't care if it's one, two, three, or XYZ. And if I can jump in, I know Frank wants to talk, but, yeah. you know, Mark brings up some great points. And, and this is another thing that I've been preaching of, especially in my new role, is that this whole idea of an end-to-end -end ecosystem, while I love the idea of having a single manufacturer or a single integrator or a single whatever to point at if there's a problem, you know, it, it goes back to the old days of computers. When computers first came out, you had PCs of varying flavors, and you, of course, had apples, but we don't talk about them. Um, <laughs> but the PCs of various flavors, some of them had this open, ag agnostic, you know, free love kind of, you could plug my motherboard into your chassis, into your drive, and it all works. Whereas a couple companies, including the one that made my very first PC when I was in high school, <clears throat> Packer Bell, um, they made very proprietary things that only fit their very proprietary things. And when your drive went up, you couldn't just go to the computer show or the computer store, get a new one and plug it in. It had to be proprietary. And look around. Where is that company now? Or where are those computers now? We've gone to a more open source almost, but open architecture where we can go with anything. And I think the same is going to be true of control. You know, we as end users, we want that. We want to have that flexibility so that if company XYZ is dropping the ball on getting parts to us, we can go with ABC and there's no problem. It's all but plug and play. And so that's one problem with the big ecosystem brand that's impacting control and everything else we do. So um, great points, Mark. I agree entirely. And I think the smart virtual control companies, including one Tim mentioned at the top there, um, they play nice with others. They play nice with those that have their lark locked infrastructure, their locked ecosystem, and they'll work with them until such time as those parts die or need to be refreshed, and then you can refresh them with anything. So that's where you want to be. Just keep it open. All right, Frank. I agree. I, I agree with that. And, you know, it's like both Mark and uh, Don bring up some excellent points. I don't think we have a choice in the matter, right? It's uh, we could deny, we could kick and scream as much as we want, but there are there are a couple of things that affect the design of systems beyond what the integrator or anybody wants to control, right? One is obviously the user experience. It's critical. User experience, and when I say user experience, not just the end user who's using the system, but also the people maintaining them, the admins, the designers, they're all the people who are involved in the process. So user experience goes beyond that visual of a touch panel, right? So that's one thing. And then the transport mechanism for the user experience. Right? So at the end of the day, we may not have got there by choice or by design, 
but we will get there. And eventually, what Don said before, I just want to reiterate, playing together with other ecosystems, with other manufacturers, is the only way things will work, right? I know we've had 500 different episodes and conversations on standards, and we will never agree on a standard because we have a standard for every day. But that is a standard right there. What we're talking about right now is a standard. As long as things work together, that's all we need, right? We don't care because until, I mean, well, cybersecurity is going to come into this conversation at some point and then say, you guys need to make up your mind on what this is so we can regulate you, right? When that happens, we will have a standard. But to that point, doesn't matter how we get there, as long as we can work and get things going and get things functional, it's fine. And those who decide that, all right, I'm not going to preach this lockdown system. We want people to use my system. And even those who have a mix and match kind of setup, mine works with yours, that's how it's going to be. Uh, so excellent points, both of you. Uh -huh. uh, next story comes to us from uh, MSN.com. A storm rocked Las Vegas and rocked the Circa Sportsbook. Uh, the Circa Sportsbook in Las Vegas had an unwelcome water feature last week after more than an inch of rain, which, so those of us in the Midwest, we've gotten hammered. I know the East Coast has gotten hammered. It doesn't sound like a lot, but in the desert, an inch is a lot. Um, but they also had like 70 miles an hour, 70 mile an hour winds. Uh, water came pouring from the LED uh, video sports wall. Mark, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, just climate change in general, right? And, and, and I'm, this is not, I am not a scientist. I am not, this is not a political statement. Okay. But I think that we have agreed on the term climate change. Are, are we, are we good with that, that term? Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, climate has, is changing, continues to change, weather is getting worse, right? How the freak do, do we get our customers to say, okay, you're putting in a ginormous LED video wall, right? How do we protect that, um, for holy crap stuff we've never seen before, right? So how do we, I mean, I'm, you can pick on video walls if you want. I don't care what, what, what type of AD technology you, you want to look at here, but how do we kind of protect for the elements when they're getting more and more extreme? Yeah, I saw the circuit thing. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm like, well, that's what they get for asking for a cascade, cascading waterfall style screens. Um, no, but the the circuit thing. I, I wish I had. I wish I had a drink. <laughs> but yeah, so to me, it's a roofing problem. Right. Um, just FYI, that wasn't an improper technology spec or an improper technology install. That was the roof caved and water's coming through the wall and it just happened to exit where there's a hole because there's data and power that feed that, that LED wall and it came through there. Um, I don't know that there's anything any manufacturer or AV integrator could plan for in an indoor space with gallons of water flowing through the back of the screen. Um, but in general, I mean, I think if, you, if you're thinking about spaces and you're thinking about risk aversion, um, number one, I mean, I think, um, you know, systems where potentially power supplies, et cetera, stay remote, maybe in a more protected space. We know that a lot of video walls have the options for remote power supplies, keeps heat out of the room, keeps maintenance easier. So you don't have to take things apart to fix things um, that may eliminate some potential audience safety issues with gallons of water pouring through electronic equipment, right? <laughs> um, you're only distributing power to the actual LEDs themselves and you don't have these big power supplies back there. Um, I think creating shrouds and envelopes for things, you know, back boxes, shrouds, envelopes, 
And then of course, making sure that you're picking equipment, um, not just based on price and not just based on uh, pixel pitch, but you know, like AV equipment does have IP ratings for dust and water egress and all those things. And just making sure that you're paying attention to what, you know, an IP65 rating means. What does that mean? Does anybody know what an IP65 rating is? I mean, the first number is always your dust protection. The second number is your water protection. And some products are rated one way on the front and something on the back. Like a lot of LED walls are IP65 on the front. You could spray it with the hose. It can get dirt on it. But they're 54 on the back. You wouldn't want to get the back as wet. So you need to protect the back of the systems. So it's just knowing those specifications of your equipment, what these numbers actually mean. It's being a professional, honestly, Tim. And then hopefully um, the rest of the people on the project that are building the building are professionals too. And they don't leave, you know, a two by two hole in the roof to let water come into the circuit hotel. <laughs> I know. Coxon Sorry. Shade. All right. Uh, no, Frank, I, know. I love it. How do we, and this one beside, and Mark is right. It was, I didn't realize it was a, well, I don't know that it's specifically a roofing issue, but if you have pools of no, water, no, no, you already said it. <laughs> it, it, it. No, it is a roof. You've already We've said agreed it. on it. Stick with it, dude. Like hold yeah. on to that. Don't don't let go. So, but Kim Mark is a you know smarter me on that one. Um, so whether it's that one or you know, um, a couple years ago the, the 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 Super Bowl was held in Miami, right? Uh, not for nothing. It's an outdoor stadium. Miami is known to be hit with a hurricane or two once or twice. Um, giant LED boards, right? Uh, contrast that with the uh, the Super Bowl this past year um, uh, in. Uh, in LA, it's a covered you know, stadium, right? So regardless of what happens in Los Angeles, that ginormous, gorgeous, 100-yard uh, Samsung display shouldn't be Im impacted. So you know, take a look and, and how do we how do we protect uh, how do we protect the, the users of this of this gear? So I think the uh, from an engineering perspective, risk analysis, risk aversion, risk. Uh, documentation needs to be a part of our culture. We don't have that, really. Our biggest concern is making sure our AV systems work, right? We want to make sure that there's little downtime. And usually, unless the consultant or the space in which a system is going into doesn't demand it, we are quite passive about these things. I actually equate earthquakes, uh, floods, and cybersecurity incidents all under one blanket. For me, it's the same thing. It's all things that can disrupt the functioning of your system. And what we can do is be the SME. We need to see ourselves as the SMEs in a larger blanket of technologies. There are so many things at play here. We don't have to set the standards. It's not our job to set the standards for a building maintenance or any of those things. But we can tell people, document it, and tell them that these are the risk factors that affect our system. We need to have temperature control. We need to have a roof that's closed. We need to have water not flooding into our systems. We need to have these things. Now, it's okay if you want to do those things because it's not under our control, but just know that when that happens, our systems are going to fail. That's called risk analysis. Giving, being upfront and giving people an understanding of risk covers us and covers them as well. I mean, we are being transparent. And in, in an effort to be transparent, speaking up about these things should be part of our design process right at the beginning we need to be telling people these things so it's kind of like making sure that you still have those conversations about heat load right yeah 
Yep. Uh, and make sure that the HVAC system will work this properly in there. Yeah, I'm sure we point. didn't have those in the beginning, and at some point we put in too many AV systems into an equipment room, and it overheated, and something went wrong. And they said, "Now we need to know this from now." And then, you know, design engineers started putting heat load charts. We don't do things unless people force us to. It's not a good thing. It doesn't talk. It's not a good thing, but you know, <laughs> maybe we should get ahead of this because lawsuits, right? The two things maybe that can we're stubborn. Yeah, we're stubborn. We are stubborn. <laughs> All right, Don, you'll have the last word on this. How do we protect these things? I mean, things? There, there, there's credence to what both Frank and Mark have said. You know, it, it, it is all about risk aversion. And actually, your end users having become one now, we would love you if you come in with conversations about risk aversion, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's climate change, whether it's, you know, just general use of the product. And it's not like... It's something that we as an industry have to reinvent. Um, certain verticals already exactly. have these things in place. I know for a fact, the medical vertical has a lot of things in place for splash protection and, and um, you know, putting things in that, that don't get gunked up with, you know, contaminants. I know the military and, and, and um, defense sector has ruggedized equipment that can work in a desert or in a cave somewhere, you know, I, I don't know all the details, but I know it exists. You know, our digital signage, outdoor signage, highway type sign people, and the people that do outdoor stadiums, and the people that that do some of these other large products, rental and staging that has a lot of outdoor use, they have protective enclosures. They have products that already do this or already rate for this. And I think it's a case of, as integrators, you need to look at who your customer is and what their needs are. Now, the story in question, it's a desert. I'm not immediately going to think, hey, we need to waterproof everything here. It's a desert. I need to sandproof okay, yeah. it, <laughs> but maybe not waterproof. So th there's always going to be an anomaly. But at the end of the day, if we're aware that these protections are out there, and come on, folks, if you've ever been to Infocom, we've all seen those silly little speakers or occasional screens that have the protective enclosures around them with a waterfall dripping all over it and still playing music or showing a video. That's the stuff, you know? Talk to those people. Find out their info. Shoot, I picked up some cards from those folks that I don't necessarily have a need for at this Infocom because I now have that card in my desk, in my back pocket. Tim knows about my back pocket. I always love back pocket products. So that when the customer comes to me and says, I have this need and it needs to be waterproof or it needs to be dustproof or it needs to be ruggedized in some way, I can go, Boom, this is the company we need to call. I'll check and research some of their competitors, but at least we have a starting point. And as an industry, you know, like I said, be risk averse. Take that info to your customers. It's just like the cybersecurity discussion. If you go into a meeting, a bid meeting, and you're the only integrator that says, that brings up risk aversion and risk protection, you're going to have an edge over the guys that just come in and say, here's our gray boxes. So that's that's my thoughts on it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's it's interesting because some, you, a lot of times I think we assume other people um, have done that. You know, I've asked people ask me for drawings and I just let them know these aren't engineering drawings. They're not stamped engineering drawings. They're not structural integrity drawings. These are just system drawings, Correct. right? Which is different. If you need an engineering stamp, you need something else. And I had a project one time where we were putting 900 pounds of screens on a wall and I looked up and noticed the wall that they wanted us to put it on wasn't actually tied down at the ceiling. It's a wall that stops at grid. It's bolted to the floor and not bolted to the ceiling. It was a it was a wall that was built after the ceiling structure was in the building. And I had to pull the GC aside and say, hey, 
do you want me to put in a seismic zone in California, do you want me to put 900 pounds of screens on this wall? Have you guys done the work on making sure it can hold that? And uh, the GC yeah. looked at me and said, hung more on less is what his answer was. And I said, I'm going to need that in writing, sir. And then when I showed up to the job site next time, guess what? The wall was tied tied down up top. It was, they had made the Thanks proper happen. things. But we just, we had, like, I, like you said, Frank, we have to do our due diligence as professionals. And like Don said, risk aversion, talking to customers and just ask the questions that we assume somebody should have asked. And if they have, then, then great. They'll say, oh yeah, we've already thought about that. It's going to be tied down, but at least we're bringing that forward in the process. Yeah. Eliminating assumptions is really the design yeah. process. It's just about not assuming things were done. Just ask the questions. And, you know, and like Don said, people appreciate those questions. I mean, what, whether it be about structural issues or cybersecurity, but when somebody brings it up, I've always felt that clients are saying, oh, we didn't think of that. Because it's possible in a $50 million project, they're not really concerned about that $200,000 piece of equipment, but that can cause a lot of yeah. damage there. So we have a role to play here. Being proactive and not reactive is Really right. And as an end user, when someone does come in with a conversation like that, it really does set you apart because you're not just some guy that hung his grandma's TV from Costco and now you're an integrator. You understand the industry, you understand the complexities involved. And as I'm constantly telling the people that are electricians and IT folks at my company that try to do our job, there's a lot more to it than just hang it on the wall. Mark's example, Absolutely. Frank had some examples. I mean, there's a lot more to it. And if you come in with those questions answered and brought up, we know you understand that and you will be more likely to be hired. All right. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. I think we can we can hit this one. Uh, AV Interactive, uh, AV Magazine from out of the UK, has a story about Teams, uh, team rooms. More than 60% of Fortune 500 have chosen to use Microsoft Teams rooms. This is according to Microsoft CEO uh, Satya Nadella. Uh, Microsoft has also introduced more than 450 features over the last year to Teams to help frontline and knowledge workers collaborate synchronously and asynchronously in person and remotely. Um, Frank, we'll start with you on this. What what does this mean? What does this 60% market share of Microsoft Team Rooms mean for the rest of the market? I think it's just a general indication that UC platforms have evolved beyond their AV functionality. It's not just about making a phone call. It's not just about talking to people. It's not a video call. It's not just a conference call. It's an, I mean, I'm, this is the 16th time I'm using this word, but it's an ecosystem, right? It has a lot of functionality to it. And that's what I think Teams can set itself apart. The advantage is that Teams is natively a part of the Office 365 suite, which is quite popular and everybody uses it. Every other UC platform out there, they now have to sell their services. There are advantages, disadvantages to all of them. Zoom's great, Pexip, there's tons of different names that are strong players in the space, but the edge that Microsoft holds is primarily because it has incorporated you know, our age-old Word and Excel into the same Teams platform. And then it becomes easy, like one place, one stop shop kind of thing. So. It's an indication that people want the convenience of having multiple services under one thing as opposed to having to uh, you know, go into a different website and open up a different program. Single sign-on uh, is one of the game changers in the authentication industry. The fact that we can use one login to access multiple services probably started off this big revolution. I think that's what's happening here too. I mean, we, we're using technologies, 
We want multiple services on the same technology. And I think it's going to be a feature. Other, other, other UC platforms are going to come with this. They're going to add something to it. I mean, there's tons of ways to collaborate on Zoom already. Uh, you know, they're all going to... And again, it's, this is a nice little segue because, you know, we were talking in the beginning about how interoperability and systems playing with each other, with each other becomes critical. I think we're going to see more and more of that in the UC space as well. So don't be fooled by the 60%. Pretty soon, you'll, teams will come out and say, it doesn't matter if you have Zoom, you can still have Teams as well. And Zoom will say the same thing. All right, Don, same kind of question. What is it, what is it Well, mean? I'm going to show my age for a moment here, and I'm going to go back to that IT PC metaphor. When's the last time anyone watching this or listening to this or any of you folks used WordPerfect or Lotus123 or any of these other pieces of software that back when I was young and computers were new, we're out there as word processors, as spreadsheets, as, as uh, databases. You know, all of those went away because the mighty Microsoft came packaged in every computer and it was really easy. All you have to do is turn it on and it works. I think that's where a lot of that 60% number comes from. Honestly, I'm surprised it's not higher just by virtue of Microsoft being included True. with everything. Um, you know, it, it just shows yeah. you how strong the support for Zoom and some of these other platforms is. Um, but to Frank's point and to our point earlier, you know, interoperability is going to be everything. It is nice with teams that you can bring in and, oh, here's your document. And I'll share it in the chat and you can pull up the whiteboard or you can do whatever. You know, there's a lot of extra features, but you know what? A lot of their competitors have extra features, too. And I think the fact that they're only claiming 60 percent really says something about how strong some of those other services are. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to go where everybody can work. Everybody can get the job done. I know my own organization, we were standardized on Skype. Remember Skype? <laughs> and now they've migrated over. They're standardizing on Teams. But you know what? We still do a lot of ZoomGov and we still do a lot of other systems for other types of calls. So, you know, it, it's a matter of use case. What works for this situation and will it work with what our customers are using? Interoperability. Mr. Coxon, you'll have yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think I think the number sixty percent seemed low to me initially, um, based on what it is. My my caveat to that would be there are probably some Fortune five hundred companies still using Kodak based systems. So sixty percent teams doesn't mean that sixty percent of the cloud businesses teams. It may be eighty ninety percent of companies doing cloud are using Teams, and some companies are still using some of the older Kodak based, you know, more secure technology. Um, I'd love to kind of see the breakdown of that on on what. Fortune 500 is, but I mean, yeah, if, if you think about it, what Don said with these office suites packaged, I mean, when you pull up an outlet, an outlook, uh, meeting, you just click the teams meeting button and the invite generates. Why do I want to go through a second step? I mean, that's like, that's the easiest way to just include a link to a virtual meeting ever. You just click teams and a meeting populates. Um, but I think the thing that, that um, you mentioned, Tim, the 450 different kind of extensions that have been added within the year for productivity, et cetera, Teams has done a really good job of building out the app ecosystem and having a store for all those different apps, things like Planner for workflow, for buckets, the wiki, the wiki um, within there to uh, you know, store data, the place to store files for certain projects, et cetera. So this way to create threads and streams and have common resources for files without having to go into OneNote, without having to go into SharePoint, without having to do any of that and to live and breathe and work in Teams is really, really easy to do if you go beyond just the normal 
I'm using it for a video meeting capability. There's a lot more feature set packed in there where I think um, as companies start to develop that and find the five, six apps that really work for their workflow within that 450 you mentioned they added this year, then they really start to tunnel in and then it's harder to get out of that, right? Because they're living and breathing in there every single day. So um, I think that's part of it too. I also got to say like the, the development that they did over the last two years, the 450, we, we could feel it. I mean, a lot of times, you know, manufacturers and solution providers will say that we did like a hundred updates and you'll think, where were those updates? I didn't see any of those, but teams really, if you remember teams from two years ago and teams now, they have stepped up their game. You know, they're, they've really done a great job. All right. Thank you all so much. Um, Don Mead, how do people get a hold of you? Well, you can't find me at my job, but you can certainly find me on the socials and online at AV Dawn or Dawn Mead if you're on, you know, the staid things like uh, LinkedIn. And you can also usually find me here on AV Week every so many weeks when Tim lets me come on and when we get around to recording it on AV Social here on avnation.tv. Very good. Uh, please follow her. Uh, also, uh, Mr. Mark Cox and how do people connect with you, sir? Well, thanks for having me. You can find me on Rave Pubs. I write for Rave, obviously, so you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter, at AVPhenom. Um, and then, quick plug, I'll be doing a, a panel at DSE this year in Las Vegas in November uh, on uh, DirectView LED. So if you want to talk more about DirectView LED in Las Vegas, that'll be a place to do it. And finally, Frank Patakala, how do people connect with you on QSC? Thanks again for having me. You can find me at Frank Patakawa on all the socials. Uh, I'm also here on avnation.tv. I host the IT Factor, and we recently had an episode on managed services. Uh, I work at Oddnate, so if you have any questions there, always feel free to visit us at uh, oddnate.com. But once again, thanks for having me. All right. For, uh, for me, don't follow me on the... On the Twitters, but go by the website, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find programs like this and a host of others. If you are an AV user, a tech manager, an IT manager in the Chicago area, make sure that you sign up for our Fuse event. Happens in two weeks uh, in, in downtown Chicago. You can find out more at fuse.avianation.tv or avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Mm -hmm.